athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked into the dopest show on radio from the press box to press row here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. I am your host, Donald Ware. Alabama, the national champions. And I thought Ohio State had a shot. And at the beginning, Ohio State played well. But ultimately, Alabama just had a lot more. Like, Smith is unbelievable. I mean, there was nothing that Ohio State really could do. You weren't going to try to go tit for tat, which Ohio State did in the beginning. But ultimately, it did not work. And you're talking about an Ohio State program or excuse me, an Alabama program that is just, I mean, it's just, you know, year end and year out is just absolutely tremendous. Listen, speaking about college football, uh, as a matter of fact, a couple of things, the SWAC had its virtual media day on Wednesday and Thursday. So we may have a chance to talk about a little bit about that and what came from that today on the program. But in a couple of moments, and again, speaking about college football, we're going to be joined by one of the newest members of the College Football Hall of Fame, Rudy Hubbard, the former Florida A&M head football coach inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Going to join us here on the program. Rudy Hubbard, you talk about 1AA, now known as FCS. Well, the first 1AA championship was won by Florida A&M in 1970. Eight. So we're going to talk with Rudy Hubbard today on the program. Listen, want you to participate here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Hit us up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. You can hit me on my personal Twitter account at dware one at dware one or my personal Instagram account at Donald. Let's get things without further ado Let's get things rolling here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Rudy Hubbard coached 12 seasons at Florida A&M, had a record of 83-48-3, and and he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, a well-deserved honor, as a matter of fact, led, of course, the Rattlers to the 1978 Division I AA Championship, the first ever Division I AA Championship, and a win over Miami in 19, the Hurricanes, that is, in 1979, as Rudy Hubbard joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Hubbard, a happy new year. Congratulations and welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much and happy new year to you. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, what an honor. Your thoughts, your thoughts on being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. 
Well, you know, I'm 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 overexcited, man. I I really was uh caught off guard, totally caught off guard because I was of the opinion that most times uh those kinds of awards are are done leading up to the football season. And since the season was about to end, you know, I I wasn't even thinking about Hall of Fame being uh I thought this year's Hall of Fame group would be over. But uh I, nobody sent me a notice or anything. I didn't get a phone call. And so all of a sudden I got a box and uh, I opened the box and it had the football hall of fame, had a letter in there that I had been uh, selected for this year's class. And man, I tell you, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a mistake. <laughs> and so I couldn't wait to call the number that they had in there. And then they explained to me that, uh, that they had talked about it, looked at it, called several other people about it, and they decided it was time for me to go in. So yeah. they really didn't have to go through a whole big process that they normally would go through. So I was overly excited, man. I'm really – I hadn't come down yet. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, is it – like the way you described it, and of course, I mean, like if you look at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you're you know in a hotel room, you get the knock – uh, on the door and of course we're in, in COVID so you know there's any number of ways this thing could have happened somebody could have called you they could have videoed you whatever but isn't that like the best way to find like that's old school uh, getting something in the mail finding out that you've been, been inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame <laughs> oh yeah because I didn't even my wife asked me, you know, whose name's on the box? I said, Well mine, but I didn't even open the box for about forty five minutes. Cause I knew I hadn't ordered anything. <laughs> and uh you know what I'm saying? So it was like you know, I had no clue, man. Nevertheless, uh, you know, I, I really I hadn't come down out of the clouds, man, since I since I opened that box and they told me that it was official and for real. So, well, let me ask you this. I mean, to 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 some observers, including myself, I look at uh, your record at Florida A&M. You had a 62 percent winning percentage. You were at one school. A lot of you know, there was a lot of transition. Florida A&M was SIAC, then MEAC, then, you know, independent. I mean, so that, you know, you have all of those dynamics, but you win the first ever Division One AA, of course, now known as FCS National Championship, a big win over Miami, producing some great players, including Nate Newton. To me, that speaks of College Football Hall of Fame. Like, we're, is this something, I mean, don't you feel like you should have been inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame? Oh, no question. There's no question. You know, I, I just, I had started to think, that uh, you know, once you win the the national championship, and this is what I learned, okay, just not too long ago. Uh, once once you win a national championship, you're automatically nominated every year, and so that's what had been happening with me. My name was in there among a bunch of other people, and uh, and so I I really felt like as I looked around at some of the other people I would be competing with, they have a they have a player group, and then they have a coaching group. I felt like I should have been in there long ago, but since it wasn't happening, then I, I just kind of thought, man, they're they going to mess around and wait until I pass away. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that happen to guys, you know. And and the other piece to that is that 
we've been having difficulty at Florida A&M uh, keeping sports information directors. And so um, I really had nobody. Typically when you get in a position like that and you're nominated, then the school will just start flooding a bunch of information. Uh, but I didn't have anybody doing that for me. And in the situation at Florida a and not getting a whole lot better. You know, they still don't have a full-time sports information director. And so uh, I just felt like, man, this is not going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think now it's been, it's probably been, you know, eight, nine, ten years. Every year it pops up at the beginning of football season, but, you know, you know, it just goes away. Yeah. And so uh, I thought that was going to be another another year that this is going to happen like that. But, uh, you know, the, there, there's a, a thing that I, I didn't realize, and, and I had some people, one of my football coaches, Goldsmith, Fred Goldsmith, knew somebody who knew somebody <laughs> on the, on the, you know, on the committee and the, and the group there, as that goes. And then I realized that one of the players I had at Ohio State, Archie Griffin, uh, is a part of it. And and so, uh, you know, I, I think all of that kind of added up to help me a little bit. Yeah. That, that's what I'm being told anyway. Yeah. So, so, uh, once they looked at, like, looked at my whole situation like you did, I, I think that's what it came down to is just getting someone to stop and really look at it. And once they looked at my situation, they decided that, uh, you know, I had been just out there floating long enough, you yeah. know, and they went ahead and put, put me in. Cause I, the reason why I thought I was thinking it was a kind of a mistake and I wanted to make sure before I told anybody is because typically I would have gotten something to say, well, you, you, you're one of a group of people that we're going to pick from, but I received nothing, you know, no call, no, no, no note, <laughs> no email, <laughs> no nothing. But I tell you, man, it was a great day. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes, and we'll t- you know, I think sometimes you, I mean, we, we talk about Florida a and I think you have to look at it in totality. I mean, you were you were an assistant coach at Ohio State. You mentioned Archie Griffin, and of course, under the legendary Woody Hayes, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. That the voice of Rudy Hubbard, again, 12 seasons as the head football coach at Florida A&M. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row, inducted into the college football Hall of Fame, of course, the coach of FAMU, who won the first ever Division One AA National Championship. How, how's how's Kobe? Like, like how how's your family? Should have started out with this, but how's your family? How how are you dealing with COVID currently? Currently, um, it, I, I really feel great about it. Uh, thanks for asking. We, my wife and I, have been kind of just staying in the house. We go to the store and back gas station and back and that's about it so we've done that and it's been terrible because you know all of our all of our kids and grandkids you know we haven't been able to see anybody uh and so i feel like at our age you know we just we just need to stay out of the way but fortunately i got a call it was day before yesterday and they they wanted me to come and get my first shot yesterday, which I did. Oh, nice! And man, that was that was a great feeling because uh, I, I really think this is going to be my year. Just 
things are just flowing, man. It's just happening. And, and so, uh, you know, but I, but, but that kind of, that kind of, you know, I know it has a lot to do with my age, the reason why they put me up there. But it, I went and had my shot. Didn't have to really wait long. Was a was a piece of cake, you know. I was thinking that it might be a little painful, but it was not painful at all. And uh, I just got to get the second shot now in about three weeks. No, that's a that's a great thing. Hopefully, everybody will go out and, and get vaccinated so that. Um, you know, we can get beyond, of course, coronavirus. Let let me let's let's I want to talk about a little bit first about your time at Ohio State. Of course, you were player uh, at Ohio State first and then ultimately became an assistant coach. Now, I, I know I read you were the first uh, black assistant coach at Ohio State. Were you the first or certainly one of the first black assistants in the Big Ten? Uh, no, I was. Let, let me let me just overall, I was probably seventh or eighth in the country, and uh, and the reason why I, I, I'm saying it like that is because uh, there there is a book, and the book was published by Ori Banks. Yes, and it talks it, it talks about you know all the black coaches who were hired and where they were hired and what years they were hired. Now, some of the guys, I think probably it'd be safe to say that I was probably, my first year coaching, we won the national championship at Ohio State. So I was probably one of the most well-known guys. But, but, but there was a guy ahead of me, he was more known for playing than coaching, and uh, I'm trying to think, trying to think of his name right now, which I'm, I'm pulling a blank. But he was at, I believe, University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't have been the first in the Big Ten. Right, but certainly the uh, yeah. I'm trying to think. He was a, he was a heck of a player too, man. Pro player, played pro ball. Then he went and coached, but he only coached a year or two. And like some of those guys, they didn't coach. They coached like a freshman team or something because at that time freshmen were not eligible. I thought I almost had his name, but anyway, yeah. there was another coach at University of Iowa. I'm looking at these guys, man. I'm just having a, having That's a blank okay. with the names right no now. That's okay. But 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 yeah, but 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 it wasn't a whole lot of us. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, pioneer. I mean, we can even think. You know, you can. I, I, you know, Bill Hayes was at. You know, first black assistant coach in the ACC at. You know, uh, uh, Wake Forest, and then ultimately went on uh, to to Winston Salem and then A and T. Uh, so let's do this. We're gonna step aside. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back with more. Rudy Hubbard joining us. Recently inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame as From the Press Box to Press Row rolls on. Missed any of our shows? How about our conversations with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment? Check out Box to Row podcast at boxtorow.com or on Apple Podcasts. 
You hear the headlines. You know health insurance is a real mess right now. Premiums have skyrocketed, and in most cases, you're stuck with your plan until open enrollment. But there's a government rule that allows you to qualify for lower health insurance rates if your life has changed. That means if you've changed jobs, if you're having a child, if you're getting married, if you're getting divorced, even if you run a small business or you're self-employed, this law may qualify you to get lower health insurance rates. Call the health insurance hotline today. Learn how this 10-minute call can help you get lower health insurance rates. This is a free service to help consumers learn the laws to help them qualify for lower health insurance rates. So call right now to learn more. 800-605-1679-800-605-1679-800-605-1679. That's 800-605-1679. Paid for by GoHealth. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Donald Ware. Donald Ware. Donald Ware. We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We're talking with Rudy Hubbard, recently inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, coached 12 seasons at Florida A&M. The head coach, and of course, uh, was also an assistant coach for six seasons at Ohio State. So what to kind of coach Hubbard take us through what what was sort of the climate like, you know, at Ohio State with you as an assistant coach under Woody Hayes who you also played for and I would have to assume that I mean you were an integral part of getting Archie Griffin who won the Heisman Trophy twice to Ohio State. Yeah, you know the the climate you know, started out, uh, I, I got to say, Woody, along with all the other coaches, I mean, I was the first one who uh, had played for him and then was hired to coach there. Typically, he would go and hire coaches from other places. and no, he, he wouldn't hire somebody who had played for him. That, 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 that just wasn't happening. But I think what, and I'm going to say this, I never asked him. But my senior year, my we were supposed to, you know, each year when we played Michigan would be in the odd years, would be at Michigan. We normally would lose. Each year during the even years, we would play at Ohio State and normally would win. And so my senior year, 69 was, I mean, uh, 67, I'm sorry. My senior year, we were supposed to lose. And we were supposed to lose by two touchdowns, and it 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 was sounding like Coach Hayes was going to be released. And, and I mean, Michigan had a good team that year, and it, they just expected that they, it was going to be a two touchdown uh, win. Well, we were able to. It was my best game, best game I, I ever played there, and uh, we ended up upsetting them and beating them by two touchdowns. Uh, many people would say that probably saved Coach Hayes' job. The next year, freshmen freshmen were not eligible now, but the next year we hit Jack Tatum and John Brockett and Jim, Jim Steelwagon, Rex Kern, and all those guys came through. They were sophomores, and we went out. That was my first year coaching. But I think because we were able to save Woody's job, might have had a lot to do uh, with 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 
mind being hired. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so that's the way we started out. Okay. And, um, I remember, uh, we really didn't have, uh, I was supposed to coach the running backs. Well, before then I was a running back. And of course, Woody, Woody really coached the running backs. And so, uh, I was with him most of the time. And I did that for like a year and a half, two years. And then I went to him and talked about just taking over, you know, the running back, but not, not, not needing him to be in the room with me or none of that. But, you know, when you say the atmosphere, it was because he really didn't know if I could handle that. He just knew he just, I guess, felt like it was good to have a black coach. <laughs> right. So, so, because uh, I remember the first time when I was able to, you know, you draw the plays up on the board, and before you have your backs in to go over all the plays before practice and everything, and and I can remember the first time that I did that when I, he allowed me to take over the room and he didn't show up. Uh, he came in afterwards and he saw that I, everything I had put up on the board and everything. And his comment was, no, I, I, I didn't know you could write like that. Uh, and I, that, that blew me away. I'll never forget that. Wow. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, you know, he just, he just didn't give me a whole lot of credit. Right. <laughs> but from that point forward, you know, it, 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 it was, it was, uh, the rest is history, you know, because, but in his mind, he just didn't, I don't, I guess he didn't want, uh, didn't want me to feel embarrassed or what, but he didn't give me much credit for being able to do, to do that as well as I did. And just fortunately, I've always had a pretty good penmanship, you know what I mean? And he just didn't know it. Right. But, uh, from then, from that, and, and I think a lot, you know, probably everybody who, who, uh, got hired like that with black coach black coaches coming in probably had to go through some kind of adjustment period uh but we we had some we had some problems you know in terms of selection of players uh at first and uh it was and now that year my that year we had problems that that first year okay we we had like we were loaded but we we had a guy named uh, Jim Otis, who was a who was a white fellow, and then we came in there with John Brockett and Leo Hayden. They were sophomores before they were whew, they were players. Both of them got drafted their senior years. They both got drafted in the first round. Hmm. That's how good they were. But Jim Otis was going to be the starter, and it, it, and that's just that. Then and that was uh difficult for me I was supposed to be the black I was supposed to be the running back coach and I'm the black coach and uh I just felt like people were going to think that these guys were such good athletes but they couldn't start they were not going to break that start lineup so we would vote on who would start and Woody would say you're wrong and and Jim Otis was just going to start no matter what I later found out that um Jim Otis's dad was Woody's college roommate, mm. but that was that was after I was gone. But I'm saying all that to say this, man, I had a big afro at the time, 
and a patch of hair came out of my afro big as my fist. You know, it was just nerves over all of that. Because, you know, we all knew, and all the other coaches, you know, all the other coaches would vote for John Brocking in the start. <laughs> but, right. But it wasn't going to happen right then. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Understood. Uh, Rudy Hubbard joining us here on From the Press Box to Press Row, talking about his days at Ohio State, of course, the head coach at uh, at Florida A&M for 12 seasons, winning a national championship. Uh, so what ultimately – how did you ultimately and – that, and that's interesting. So, uh, no, no, one more th- thought about Ohio State. Uh, Archie Griffin, so you, you were um, – I mean, were you were instrumental in getting me there. Is that is that right? Yes. Yeah, see what – and so what had happened uh, – these guys that I'm mentioning, it's ironic because John Brockett and just he just he just texted me the other day, man, for the first time in years, uh, you know, over the Hall of Fame thing. But uh, John Brockett was probably I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say he was uh, probably six one six two two twenty. Leo Hayden was six feet. And he was probably two twenty five. These these are big big guys at the time, who were who were fast, man. So we're talking now. Uh, that would have been let's see, sixty eight, sixty nine, seventy seven. We're talking nineteen seventy two when Archie is coming in. I happen to have been doing my student teaching at Archie High School to finish up on a degree. And I got to be good friends with with his head coach, high school head coach, who who told me that he would never send a player to Ohio State. This is right in Columbus now, and uh, because he nobody ever came out there to recruit, uh, and he he his allegiance was to University of Indiana because they they gave him uh, you know a lot of time and gave him all kind of techniques to coach and everything. But Archie had decided that he wanted to go to Northwestern University. But by, oh, because I was there working with the head head coach uh, doing my student teaching, we got to be good friends. Once I looked at the film, you know, I went back, and Archie was just off the chain. He, but he was just a short guy. You know, he was just – well, Archie still is probably like 5'8". Five nine or something like that, and uh, but he had made up his mind that he would go on to Northwestern because he didn't want to be considered uh, going to a football factory. And part of it was that he didn't want to not have success and be right from there. And Woody was at the time was of the opinion that we didn't need to recruit anybody locally because he would say that if if they fail, they're they're never gonna take the blame. They're always going to blame the coaches. And so that was the way he was approaching it at the time. Well, I was able to, 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 to get them to get serious about Archie. And, and then, uh, I pulled a lot of people together from the community and, uh, they were able to help in the recruitment, you know, in terms of just making Archie feel like he would be, it would be good to have him stay local. And, uh, that's how we got started. As we got the wheels rolling, you know, Woody Woody does his thing, and he was always good at it. 
but you know, we it came down to we're gonna take a guy from Pennsylvania who was uh, a white fella or Archie. We ended up taking both of them, and uh, that and that's the way it happened. But it, there was some argument. There was some argument. We we didn't have a good system of deciding. And so it, 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 the system was whoever could holler the loudest, whichever <laughs> coach would, would holler the loudest for a player, that, which was not a good one. And we got into a really bad situation there where it just didn't make sense. So we decided during that period that we had to come up with a better way to determine who would recruit, who would recruit. And so we ended up saying whoever coached the position would have the final say before it got to Woody. Mm. And that's what we but – it, but it had to be a, a – a, a, Bad argument, man. A lot of shouting and carrying on. And so um, once we got Archie there, that same year, I believe it was the 72, freshmen became eligible. And the first game, Archie got in at the last. The game was about over. We were winning. And he got in. Uh, some seconds left to play and fumbled the ball. Woody was crazy about fumbles. I mean, he was he would go off, man, on a fumble. And so it was. Uh, make a long story short, we started the next game against University of North Carolina with Archie lined up at third team. Guy named Morris Bradshaw, black guy, fast as all get out, but not not really all that tough. And then a white guy was number two named Elmer Lippert, who was tough, but not all that fast. And so then we ended up with Archie as number three, and it shouldn't have been that way. But but that was the way Woody wanted. I wanted Archie to beat number two. So anyway, we get into the game, and we're, we're not moving the ball. And it appeared that, I mean, we, we punted that ball twice, and North Carolina punted twice. It appeared that we were not going to win that game if we didn't do something different. And so I, I, I called down and told Woody, you know, we're going to lose the game unless we put Archie Griffin in. And what happened was, he went ahead and did that, which meant we skipped over Elmer Lippert, the little white fellow who was tough. Right. And Archie got in and ran for 200 yards that game. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. It's history. Yeah. Rudy Hubbard. You know, what, what's yeah. funny, I got to tell you this now. Sure. What was funny, though, after the game, Elmer Lippert, the guy that we passed over, his dad was out there waiting for me. He, he didn't. He didn't wait for Woody. He wanted to talk to me because he felt like his son had been done, done wrong, and he had. You know, he had. But I, all I could do was explain to him what really happened, and uh, we shouldn't have gone into that game with his son listed number two in the first place. But and then it took to the next game. Once once we got to the next game, Archie Griffin went off again, and then it was all over. I mean, it was really all over. Yeah, nobody nobody said a word. <laughs> Yeah, that is awesome. Rudy Hubbard joining us here on from the press box to press row, just inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Step aside, take another break, come back. We'll talk about his time as the head football coach at Florida and A&M. You're locked into from the press box to press row. You're listening to from the press box to press row. From the press box to press row. Box to box row. To box to row. Box to row. Donald Ware on. 
on ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row talking with Rudy Hubbard. He was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame 12-year head coach at Florida A&M, also an assistant at Ohio State. So ultimately, Coach Hubbard, how did you uh, land the head job at Florida A&M in 1974? <laughs> okay. All right, so uh, each year we have the National Coaches Convention. Uh, normally it would be in January. And um, at, 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 at those conventions, I had become uh, pr- pretty good friends with a lot of our really good coaches. And we played poker. And so uh, that year they were going to – bring in a new coach at Florida A&M. You know, you know all the guys who are going to be fired at the convention. All those guys are going to be out in the hall all night trying to hook up a job for the next year. And uh, the guy that uh, they were going to fire, most of the guys knew me. They, they had selected me as the president of the Black Coaches Association. We had started a little association. And uh, anyway, Jim Williams was the head coach who was going to be released. And uh, he he saw me. He thought I was going to be chasing some women or something. But anyway, I told him I had to go meet some guys at my room, but we were going to play some poker. And he followed me. Well, he wanted to play. So what happened was he ended up losing his money. Now, generally what it is at the makeup of this poker game, it'd be me – and, and all the rest of the coaches would be white coaches, you know, but there were some outstanding coaches at this table now. And uh, I, I can say it was probably seven of us that would play. Four of us at some point had won national championships. But uh, but anyway, Jim lost his money, and it was like on a Monday. So I loaned him. So I, won, I won some money, and I loaned him some money to stay out in San Francisco for the rest of the week. And – we got back. I didn't hear from Jim. And I didn't hear from Florida and m You know, they, they had, they had kind of sounded like they were going to be interested in me. And so Woody, I mentioned it to Woody. He told me to let him know before spring so that he could hire somebody else if he needed to. And they would go through spring. Well, no, I didn't hear anything. So we just went through spring afterwards. I called down to see if Jim might be in a position to pay me the money. He wasn't, he wasn't in the office. And so uh, I said, well, casually, what happened? You guys forget me or you decided not to go with me or what? I said, well, we, we're just in the process of interviewing everybody. and We just interviewed the last guy today. I said, well, you decided not to bring me? And they said, oh, well, you know, we can bring you in today if you can come. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's the way we hooked it up. So. I said, yeah, if you bring me in, I'll come on down. I really was wanting to get down and talk to Jim about my money. (laughs) (laughs) So so they they brought me in, and, I mean, they hooked it up in no time flat. They brought me in. And um, after the interview, it seemed like to me it was only about 15 or 20 minutes, and they decided that I would be the guy. And uh, the only thing I had to do was go talk to Coach Gaither. And, you know, Coach Gaither and Woody Hayes were good friends. So that that's the way it went down. I mean, it just, once I did the interview, it was over. Yeah. 
Wow, that is awesome. Rudy Hubbard joining us here on the program. Some success right away. Of course, you look at the undefeated season in 1977. And then while it's an interesting dynamic because the SIAC was still D2. Fam, you had applied for a waiver to uh, to be part of the one the newly formed 1AA League uh, and ultimately was able to play for the national championship lost only one game and ultimately won the the 1AA national championship that year. What did that mean and also can you take us through the dynamic of having of being D2 at that time and then applying for the waiver to be 1AA uh, also? Man, let me tell you, you you're asking some awesome questions because I don't think many people dig into this that whole thing and the way it happened because it's quite interesting. You know, D- Division Two, of course, um, Jake Gaither had really established Florida A&M and established himself in Division Two, and we were playing Morris Brown, Tuskegee, Albany State, uh, Tennessee State, like, you know, th- those schools like that. And he was, Coach Gaither was, just running roughhouse on everybody, man. I mean, he was beating guys' socks off. And uh, after having been in there for a few years, you know, it, it, I felt like I, I, I would I would eventually want to move the program forward. Because I, I, what, what actually happened was we were able to go on a television one time while we were Division Two, and they paid us $10,000. For, for making that appearance. And I knew, having been at Ohio State, that, you know, if you go on television, normally you're going to have a huge take money-wise. I researched it and found out that if, if, if we were able to get in one AA, we would make the same amount that an Ohio State or anybody else would make, which would be about 250000 instead of 10000 and so knowing I wanted to move the program forward, and I, you know, obviously I wanted to get in there and make some of that money. And so it came down to whether we could get in. And you were right. We petitioned. And uh, Coach Gaither and several of our people went up there and really put it on as heavy as we could put it on. So we were right there. And coming down, we had lost one game to Tennessee State, which was a tight game. It was really, really crazy and uh we were told if we won the rest of our games and beat Grambling, that we would have a chance to go into the playoff and we we got down we played Grambling in the orange blossom classics the last game and we beat it was really like 31 to 7 or something like that and and so at that point they selected us to be in the first round of the playoff. And one double A is the first time. And, and so uh, then we were going to play Jackson State. We went to Jackson, and that was really the championship game because Jackson was loaded. And we were, we, we were able to beat them in uh, a tough physical match, man. It was like 15 to 10 was the score of that game. And then went out and played Massachusetts and, you know, it was – but the reason I said it's so interesting that you would ask that question is because when we're D- Division Two, 
and then you move to one double A. Normally, when you're moving in divisions like that, there's some kind of adjustment period. You don't normally go out there and just win them all. And so we went from Division Two to One Double A, and then from One Double A, after winning the championship in '78, to uni- playing University of Miami in '79. And and of course, they're Division One, and, and and we were able to upset them in '79. So we we were really really fortunate we were moving the program um but we were on tv that 78 year we were on tv four times two hundred fifty thousand dollars each time so we ended up making a million dollars more than what our program had anticipated mm. and i just knew i just knew we had arrived man <laughs> okay here we come you know and I decided that we were going to try to get uh, one heavyweight, really heavyweight, and then we were going to add Grambling onto our schedule. So we ended up getting University of Miami. Well, before we ended up playing any of those games, they decided that they were going to enforce in 1979 Title Title Nine, which meant that we had to split all of that money, the women had to get a, a significant portion of all that money that we had made. And it ended up putting us back in the hole, back where we were. By then, I had really significantly improved the schedule because I was anticipating our recruiting getting better and everything getting better. And uh, But the reason why, I, that, that part caught me by surprise. I just never knew that. Was, and, it, and it really hurt our program. But I think that many people should know that normally when you go from Division Two to One AA and then One AA to Division One school playing, you know, there's an adjustment period, and you don't normally have the success that we were having at the time. We have some players now, and uh, you know, I'm just fortunate that that you know that we were able to have that kind of success. But but that's the way it went down. Yeah. No question about it. Again, Rudy Hubbard, former Florida A&M head football coach, inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, joins us here on From the Press Box to, couple, uh, to Press Row. A couple more thoughts, Coach Hubbard. We appreciate the time. And in that vein, like it's interesting because uh, FAMU goes from SIAC to then uh, to Division One AA to the MEAC, then then back to Division One AA Independent, uh, that is. So, so with that, even though your last year coaching was 1985, FAMU tried to make the move to uh, Division 1A. I think it was either 03 or 04, uh, something like that. D- did you have any thoughts on, you know, because I've, th- this is something, even though it was 10 years later, sort of something that you kind of started in terms of moving the program forward, and then FAMU tried to take that ultimate step to 1A. I have some thoughts. Um, I didn't want to go, obviously, I didn't want to just jump out there and go 1A. What my, my thoughts were to just meet, play one 1A school each year until we had a feel for how much success we were going to have. And, you know, what would happen before I got to Florida A&M uh, they would have the Orange Blossom Classic was like 
a black school's uh, bowl game. Because basically what would happen is they would have a schedule and then the Orange Blossom Classic would be in Miami, but Coach Gaither, who was the athletic director at the same time, would select a school, whatever school they wanted to play. The schedule wasn't set for the whole year. He would select somebody for that Orange Blossom Classic. And it appeared to me, looking at how he did it, is that if he had a great year going, then he would he would bring somebody in like Grambling or, or, or somebody like that. But if he had a down year where he, he needed to end on him by thumping somebody, <laughs> then he would select a school that really didn't have that good because he would beat he was beating people's brains out you know uh after that when i came in we we were having not selecting people at the end of the year anymore it was a, a full schedule okay and so my thoughts on the, on the way they did it in the, the 2003 or 2004 whichever year that was was i don't think we were ready for that because it was always going to have to be a game that you typically would either play away which puts you at an advantage all the time or we would have to play at Florida State which wasn't guaranteed all the time you know because you don't have the facilities to 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 accommodate that kind of thing and that was a part of the rules actually and so make a long story short my opinion is that when they did that we we really were not ready for that wow but 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 in in terms of you asked me my thoughts on how I was going to do it would be to play one 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 big time school a, a year until we felt like we would, you know, we could do it and then move it slightly, uh, and that's the way I would have moved the program. Yeah, and then and then I guess lastly, thoughts on Florida A and M now joining the SWAC, where you you know you I don't I don't know if I want to call them natural rivals, but I mean it is a situation where. You know, SWAC football from an attendance standpoint, you know, much greater uh, than the MEAC at FAMU has a lot of support. So now you're playing at Jackson State, you know, the Gramblings of the world. Your your, your thoughts on FAMU moving now to the SWAC? Oh, I think it's great. I think I think now that was a good move. That that all makes sense to me because you know you're talking about. I mean, you netted it all. I mean, you're talking about the the really really great programs and the traditionally great programs now all getting into the same league and and that's where it should be uh and so uh i mean everybody is excited and i am too about just opening it up you know with jackson state uh playing grambling for homecoming i mean you know you talk about some serious football now and i mean i, I just think it was a good move from all the reasons you just said but at the same time uh it appears to me that it that all of those schools seem to be on an upswing. I mean, Jackson State bringing in Deion Sanders and uh, the, the way they're jumping out recruiting and everything. And I, I mean, everybody. I mean, North Carolina A and T has been really, really rolling. Uh, Bethune Cookman, you know, all, all the schools who decided to go swag. Right, or move outside and, of the uh, MEAC, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those those schools seem to be really, really moving, moving forward. Yeah. And uh, so it's going to see who's really doing the good job and who's not doing the good job. But you, I think what we're going to see is the, 
the level of football and the caliber of football is going to really, going to really go up because I think the recruiting is going up. These guys are coming in there, man, really selling black college football and, and, and selling, they're going to be selling the swag. And so, uh, I, I just I, I was just listening to Deion Sanders the other day on one of his podcasts. Uh, he's not just talking about Jackson State, you know. He's talking about black college football. Yeah, and and I think some of the other coaches are going to do the same thing. I think it's great. I'm glad to see it. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, Rudy Hubbard, again, former head football coach at Florida A&M for 12 seasons, inducted into the college. Football Hall of Fame leading the Rattlers to the 1978 1AA Championship, the first ever 1AA Championship now known as the FCS. Joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Hubbard, this was really, really fun. Once again, congratulations on being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, and we'll catch up with you real soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Enjoy doing it. Wow, what an absolute treat to talk with Rudy Hubbard again, now College Football Hall of Fame inductee here on From the Press Box to Press Row. I'm going to step aside, take a break. Our next segment is going to be a short segment, but I'm going to give you a chance to react to anything that Rudy Hubbard had to say via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W, the last segment uh, from the press box to press row after this, and you've got us locked here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. The old renaissance is the new renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train, with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. Delaware on ESPN Radio, right here on Sirius XM. Your reaction to anything that college football. Hall of Fame inductee Rudy Hubbard had to say in our last couple of segments as he joined us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Listen, the SWAC had its media day on Wednesday and Thursday. The predicted order of finish has come out. And by the way, a lot of the references and a lot of the questions and a lot of the talk had to do with obviously Deion Sanders and his program at uh, uh, Jackson State. I thought he on the uh, on the on the, uh, answering some of the questions. I mean, he you know he's Dion, right? He's going to be like you see him and like you've seen him. That's certainly how uh, certainly he was and doesn't have any shortage of, of confidence in terms of what his program is going to be, the coaches, the players, etc. But Dawson Odoms, who I've known for quite some time, the head football coach at Southern, I think took exception a little bit to a lot of the questioning that was coming his way with respect to Jackson State, and rightfully so. Listen, you look at this Southern program, I mean, he's got a really, really good program. He's got a SWAC championship. This is the third year he's going to be picked to win the SWAC's Western Divisions played 
you know, in uh, quite a few SWAC championship games. And, uh, you know, in essence, he said, we have players too. And I, I get it. Like, again, to me, and I've said this from the jump, when I look at various programs, like I look at Alcorn State, who's been picked to finish first, has won the last two SWAC championships. Like, I'm supposed to go against Felix Harper, the quarterback coming back for Alcorn State? No, I don't think so. That defense is going to be tight as it generally is. You know, you've got these programs. I mean, you've got Alabama A&M, who's got an Aquil Glass. Aquil Glass coming into this season is going to be one of the top 20 quarterbacks in all of college football. The guy can play so many great programs. Grambling, Southern's going to be good. Prairie View A&M is going to be, I think, good more so than people may realize. Alcorn State's the champ, what, six times over of the East. You look at, you know, again, Alabama A&M, I think on the rise. You know, Alabama State, going to be competitive. I, I was, you know, uh, the Davis, the quarterback, Davis is not coming back. And that, you know, to me, that's a bit of a hit, I think, for Alabama State because Davis really, really good, but he's not coming back. Uh, but the predicted order of finish for the SWAC looks like this. Alcorn State, number one. Alabama A&M, number two. Alabama State, number three. Jackson State, number four. Mississippi Valley State, number five. And to my point about Jackson State, even the coaches and sports information directors realize that it's, it's top-notch football in this swag. You don't just come in and are good. You know, Mississippi Valley State, I don't know how, I you know, I don't know how good Mississippi Valley State's going to be this year. Jackson State is, is picked to finish fourth in the east in the west southern first grambling state second prairie view a&m third arkansas pine bluff fourth and texas southern at number five a lot of the question had to do with florida a&m and bethune cookman again florida a&m and bethune cookman will enter the conference for the fall of 2021 gotta get ready to wrap it up here on from the press box to press row thank you to rudy hubbard for joining us today on the program. The HBCU Football Daily Podcast is returning beginning next Friday. We're going to count down and get you ready for the start of the HBCU football season kicking off on February 20th. Of course, you can find the HBCU Football Daily Podcast at our website at box2row.com. And always remember to support those that support you. Yo, from the press box to press row is presented by DW Communications.